could an executive or business coach be the answer to you achieving next level success? Or could coaching be an option for you if you're between jobs? Welcome to Business Without Barriers, the show helping you turn barriers into success breakthroughs and thrive in a volatile world, and the success revolution bringing humanity back to business. Be sure to join the revolution at bwbtv.net. I'm Common Wild, and my guest today is Andrew Nietlich, founder and director of the Center for Executive Coaching, a leading coach training organization where over 2,000 coaches in 32 countries have been certified in best practice executive coaching skills and methods. Their graduates come from top organizations, including NASA, the US Air Force, Bank of America, Coca-Cola, and many others. What's truly remarkable about Andrew is he personally trains each and every member in the program and leads all live teleclasses and in-person seminars. After graduating with distinction from Harvard Business School, he led multi-million dollar consulting engagements for an international consulting firm and as the the director of training and professional development, he developed over 3,200 professionals. He's the author of Guerrilla, Guerrilla Marketing for Coaches, Coach, and the Way to Coach Executives. He's also developed the Coach Master Toolkit. Andrew plays tennis as often as he can and enjoys life in Florida with his wife and three children. I was personally certified by Andrew as a business and executive coach. So, Andrew, it is a special honor to welcome you on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Ah, wonderful to have you and such a great topic to talk about today. Before we go into coaching, what do you love about detective um, novels? <laughs> well, it's, a, it's funny. I'm just reading one now, uh, The Thursday Afternoon Murder Club. I was just reading it before this. Uh, I, it's just something I don't think I could ever do, but I love watching uh, or reading as the uh, main character just figures out the clues and figures out where to go. Uh, as long as it's well-written, uh, I I, uh, I enjoy it. It's just a nice diversion. Yeah. And it's kind of what you do as a coach, isn't it? You kind of, uh, it's kind of detective work. Look a little at- bit, yeah. Uh, with coaching, I like to, well, there's a couple, you know, there's a famous TV detective in the USA called Columbo. I don't know if uh, I'm probably yeah. dating myself, but uh, Peter Falk played that role. And, you know, his whole shtick was to, let the uh, was to pretend to be dumb to ask simple naive even high level questions and he would crack cases that way that, that's probably the closest to true coaching i i think that a detective has uh, typically we want to ask great questions so the client can do their own detecting yes exactly yes so i i had a good look at your your linkedin profile and you have 309 recommend recommendations so you're obviously doing something truly extraordinary. What do you think your superpower is, Andrew? <laughs> uh, well, my, uh, my superpower is I'm generous in giving recommendations, to be uh, perfectly honest. I, I, you know, I just want to help people. And so I will uh, uh, offer to write recommendations to people uh, that, that I, you know, where I know their work and, and I, I can say something that will help them. And uh, often in exchange, they'll write recommendations back for me. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's, uh, that's basically it. I'm really proud of those and and, uh, and and delighted because uh, 
you know, these, these days, social proof is so important and having other people say that you're doing good stuff um, makes a big difference. Yes. And, um, and I'm totally with you in terms of, well, that actually just underpins everything that you are. If I think about, um, you gave me a recommendation after, after doing the course as well. And I was so blown away, um, that you, you took the time to do that. And it just sort of underpins everything that you do. Um, everything in your, in, in what you deliver, how you deliver the magnitude of what you deliver, there's abundance. And, um, but we, we, we go into that, um, in a while, because just before we go into your, your coaching practice and what makes it so different, I want to talk about your shift from consulting to coaching. Um, I, I read that um, after asking a client um, or realizing that the client actually knew the answers and you, you, you asked the, the guy, well, why do you hire a consultant if you know the answers? And you can go ahead and, and tell us what, they, what he said. Well, yeah, that was basically. I mean, we, you know, if anyone's worked with consultants, uh, uh, you know that the, they get so proud of these big 500 page PowerPoint deliverables and show how smart they are. And uh, we were back back then, uh, our, our firm was uh, hired to do some benchmarking initially. And so this was, you know, just a ton of data that showed they had, you know, a 10% opportunity to improve productivity, but we broke it down in detail. And, uh, you know, he said, yeah, I, I already knew this. And, and that's right. And I, we were, so, I was so tired. We worked so hard on this that I couldn't help but say, you know, you just paid like, I don't know what, $150,000 for this or something. You know what? You knew the answer. Why'd you do it? He said, because that's not <clears throat> the important part. What, what really, you know, now I have to make it happen. And what I really value is sitting down with somebody like you one-on-one. -on -one. You don't have an agenda. You're not out for my job. Uh, I can talk safely with you and we can figure out how to make this happen. And uh, at the same time, I wasn't really enjoying consulting. I don't know anybody who really does when, when you have to fly around, wake up early, get stuck at airports back uh, when we were flying. And uh, I, I, it just uh, opened up to me the opportunity. Why not cut out everything that consultants do and just get to the good part that the clients want? And it turns out that really is, an, in a way, coaching. And that, that's how I made the switch. And you took that gap and... Um... Wow, look at what you've developed. Um, how many years ago was that, Andrew? That was, uh, pro well, when it first started, uh, he wasn't the first to say that, but I'd say around 1998. So, you know, we're at 22 years. You. Um, easily, yeah, might've been 97. Who, who can remember that far back? It's, it's hard to remember less, but, but about over 20 years. And, and, and really kudos to you to take that gap and, and to create something so phenomenal and something so uh, timely and needed right now more than ever. So what are the benefits? So from a, an executive's point of view or an entrepreneur's point of view, what are the key benefits to them when they take on a coach as opposed to a consultant? Well, it, it, there could be many benefits depending on... Um, on the situation, let, let, me, uh, let me talk about a couple of clients I have now, maybe, and, and, and let's just get specific. In fact, you know, the, the first client I ever had in a for-profit company, technology, he came up to me after a speech I gave, and he said, "Andrew, I love technology. My my customers come to me because I'm great at technology. I just don't get the people side of things." And and so for him, it was all about learning this whole dimension of skills, conversations, attitude, uh, so that he could build an organization that was bigger than just his ability to uh, uh, go with, uh, do his technology. He built it up to $10 million US uh, and wanted to get even bigger, but couldn't do it unless he could really figure out how to engage his team, 
and build a strong organization. So that's one. Um, I have a client right now, uh, uh, I met with uh, just uh, yesterday afternoon, so he's fresh on my mind. He's part of a very large family business outside the United States. Um, and, and he just wants to be a really strong leader as he takes over this business. And, and for him, that means where does he spend his time as the uh, heir apparent, as the C new CEO of the business? Uh, what does he do strategically? How does he, he engage his team? Um, a lot of his company strategy is based going forward on innovation. And to date, it hasn't been about innovation. So how does he change that culture? Um, so those are things. Um, uh, quite often, it's uh, people. Uh, time, a lot of executives are just overwhelmed, worried, scared, or they have too many priorities. And, and a coach can be really helpful to talk through, you know, what, where do you want to go and what does that mean for how you spend your time and how can we make it happen? Mm. Uh, so there, there's all sorts of uh, all sorts of issues. But usually when, when somebody has some sort of something that's nagging at them, hassles, headaches, uh, people issues, time issues, strategic issues, um, and they would benefit from talking to somebody with no agenda, uh, in complete and strict confidence. Uh, that that's where a coach can re really be helpful. Very different than therapy. Very different than consulting. Consultants will give you an answer that you may or may not be ready uh, to implement. I'll never forget a consulting project where the consultants presented to the client. They said this. They said, "You have a big problems, and there's no technology that can solve them. But imagine there were a technology. We'll call it a black box." If that technology existed, here's what you could do. I mean, they paid tens of thousands of dollars for this completely worthless analysis. That's what consultants sometimes do. Uh, and then therapists assume, you know, too often assume that there's a disease state behind us. Uh, not all of them. Positive psychology is, is, uh, is, is as close, cl closest thing to coaching. But they like to move into the past, talk about feelings. So you get clients who say, I can talk about my problems very well, but I never solve them. Uh, coaching is about moving forward, looking into the future with healthy, already successful people uh, and, and, and can make a, a very nice difference uh, with people who are stressed or uh, just in the weeds uh, or, or want someone, uh, you know, a safe, objective sounding board. Mm. And right now, Andrew, I mean, with, with the, the change and the uncertainty and the volatility and some organizations being hit harder than others with all the, 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 the you know, post-pandemic um, and well, particularly the lockdowns, the impact of lockdowns on businesses. Tell us what you think or, or what you can advise leaders because they may be in a difficult situation where they know very well that they need the coaching and they really need the support but maybe there's a tight budget or income has been slashed. You know, what, how, how, when you have those kind of conversations with leaders, maybe in that, in that kind of spot, how do you help them see the, the benefit or the ROI that may come down given the tight budget they might be in? Right. Well, well first of all, uh, so, so in talking to a lot of graduates and members of the Center for Executive Coaching and other coaches that I know, I haven't seen coaching slow down except in hospitality, you know, include airlines, hotels. Yes. Um, I've seen some restaurants that are hiring coaches because they have to pivot and they see how they have to pivot from, uh, you know, in-person seating to a more uh, mobile uh, model delivery curbside pickup and, and how to do that, how to engage their teams about that. But I guess the point I'm making is there's plenty of industries that are absolutely thriving right now. Yes. Uh, where, and so uh, coaching continues 
in those industries. Technology is a, is, a, is a great example. It's still about how do I grow a successful company? How do we handle growing pains? How do we take technical people and help them become brilliant uh, leaders? So that's number one. Um, and then in areas where people, you know, so for instance, again, the client yesterday, he's in a country where uh, GDP is expected to drop eight to 18%, you know, without the V-shaped recovery that at least here in the USA, we're hoping for and have seen in, in our third quarter. And so he has a lot of, um, uh, it's a lot about agility, pivoting, you know, and, and what to do and, and coping. So that, let's put that as the middle state is where the company's probably gonna be okay, has to think about how to adapt a little bit. Uh, you know, he very much sees the need for a coach because he, you know, and we've had a lot of conversations about things that he couldn't talk to with his family. You know, his, his, his mm. parents are in the business, his siblings, he can't talk to them about this so that that's very helpful. So to your question about how do I convince them that there's an ROI, the, I don't. I'm, if I have to convince someone that there's a return on investment to hiring me, that means I care more about them hiring me or, or them solving their problem than, than they do. And so when, when I'm working with someone and they say they might be interested in a coach, what's the ROI? My question to them you know, is, hey, let's figure it out together. Let's talk about where you are, where you want to go. Here's my fees. And if there's if there's a fit and you see a return on investment, great. If there's not, that that's great too. Maybe we'll work work together later. So so what I've learned is whether it's a pandemic or normal times, um, ROI is more about a dialogue with the client, and we're trying to figure out whether it's there or not. The only other thing I'll say about COVID <clears throat> that's interesting is it's a perfect time for coaching versus consulting uh, because the answers are not known. Coaching is best when we're letting the client figure out what's right for them and asking, you know, we're asking great structured questions. Yes, we can make observations and suggestions, but nobody knows the answer. You know, there's so many scenarios that could happen. Um, there's, there's, there's some models emerging of, of success, but nobody knows. And so um, coaching is a brilliant way uh, to just have a dialogue and go into the uh, unknown. I listened to tons of coaching recordings, recordings from uh, members of the program. The coaching has gotten much better uh, since COVID hit because there's, they can't step in and try to be the smartest person in the room. That is the coach. They have no choice but to ask questions and let the client figure it out. The conversation is so much better, so much uh, more interesting, rich, and, and leads to much deeper insights for the client. Mm, lovely, lovely observations. Thank you. In your own coaching practice, um, uh, we had a, a brief conversation. You said your, your practice has largely been unaffected. Um, give us some of the things that not only this year, but for over the years, you've done really well that has set your business up for success and that has allowed you to have the, 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 the success year on year. What are some of those things that other people can learn from? The most important thing that happened to me was that I failed miserably my first six months. I was absolutely terrible, couldn't get a client. And the reason, so I figured out the reasons why and stopped doing those things. For instance, I, I positioned myself as just, you know, your friendly neighborhood leadership coach. I could go to anyone, solve any leadership issue you had. And nobody really got that for, you know, obvious reasons now looking back. It, it was only when I picked a couple of niches, you know, a couple of areas I wanted to pursue um, that, um, that I started getting traction. And so I, I was pretty, pretty faithful to the formula of spending 70% of my time going after very specific 
niches. As, you know, initially it was leaders in nonprofits and leaders in technology. And I'd leave the other 30% to whatever came my way and see if that developed. In other words, let the market tell me where, where I should focus. So I, I think that that was one of the biggest things. Um, the second biggest thing was uh, learning how to, how not, to stop selling. Uh, that is to stop making pitches, to stop pushing, and instead to just be out there uh, uh, doing things like educational marketing, giving talks, being very generous with content, establishing myself as an expert. So people would come to me and say, that was very interesting. I have a problem related to that. Would you like to talk about it? And so that uh, got me some uh, uh, work. And I do that to me is, is super important. I let it come to me. It's, it's much more of a pull style of marketing, which is everything today. Nobody wants that push mm-hmm. style of marketing anymore. And I, I think the third and maybe most important thing for me is, is attitude. I, uh, uh, people have always called me unflappable. You can see it, there's a punching bag here. And uh, uh, depending on how sessions go, there's either a punching bag and then, then there's a massage chair here. One or the other will work. But in terms of the uh, punching bag, um, you know, you know I, I can take a punch. And, and that for me is, is this attitude of um, whatever. Uh, Nassim Talib calls it anti-fragility. I don't like the term resilience. But, you know, I, I can take any number of no's. I don't take it personally. I learn from each and every one if I can and try to keep uh, uh, getting better. So I, honestly, that's the attitude. I know I could lose everything right now and get back and, and build it up again. Uh, and that would be the attitude that, that keeps me going, that, that mental uh, approach to things. Mm. <clears throat> so what I love about that is that you, you're going in with the, the attitude that give it all and even if I lost it all, it would be okay because I can make it up again. So there's nothing to lose. It, it, it's a win-win approach then. Yeah, not, not, not much to lose. Yeah, someone, uh, I heard somebody once describe it as like, it's a plate of cookies. You know, if you're at a party and you have a plate of cookies, you know, would you like a cookie? Would you like a cookie? And if they don't want a cookie, we don't, you know, so what? You just yeah. find someone else to give the cookie to. That, that's really um, all I'm doing. Uh, but again, in a way that has people come and, and see the cookies, hopefully, and, and want to take them. And that, that's it. Well, you must Very have simple. damn good cookies. There's thousands of people that <laughs> have eaten the cookies, <laughs> me included. <laughs> oh, you're very yeah, you're kind. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about people who may be looking to coaching as an opportunity. So we have in the market um, those who have found themselves in an unfortunate position in the wrong, you know, maybe hospitality or whatever it is, and they have so much experience and maybe haven't considered this. So talk to us a little bit about the requirements um, for someone to make that transition from leader to on their own as a coach um, supporting others. Yeah, well, so some people who do really well, I like that you started with the word leader. You know, if you look at the market of who's a coach these days, 90% of the people who are coaches, you know, they're, they're more like what you call life coaches. They're a little bit fluffy. Uh, you know, I, we make, you know, uh, some jokes about them sometimes. Uh, you know, you, if you take any joke about a drummer in a rock band and apply it to life coaches, the same. Like they say, you know, what do you say when a drummer rings your door? Well, same thing. What do you say when a life coach rings the door? You say, how much for the pizza? <laughs> or, or what, what do you call a life coach or a drummer? Doesn't matter when they break up with their significant other. What do you call them? Homeless. And so 90% of the market is that. 
<laughs> when you said leader, that's really good. Because if you're going to get into executive and business coaching, you should be, you should start as somebody with some substance. You should know something so that you show up as credible. Um, some people disagree with that because they say, well, you know, mostly we're asking questions and doing inquiry, but it doesn't matter. It's how you're perceived initially. So that's number one. Number two, if you've found great um, joy and, and reward in developing others, whether as a mentor, informal coaching, maybe real coaching, um, any kind of development, which is what a leader does, right? One of the jobs of a leader is developing people, then you, you could be a great coach. Um, the two challenges are learning how to coach. It's a type of, there's a conversation you have to learn that many leaders and executives have a little bit of trouble with. It, 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 it doesn't take long. I can teach you how to do it, but they come in wanting to tell people how to do it. Yes. So they're listening, you know, they want to fix, they want to judge, they want to diagnose, and they want to say, here, do this. Um, in true coaching, you're looking at situations where there's no clear answer. There's no right answer. If there's a right answer, yeah, you tell them, right? If, if someone says, where's the restroom? Uh, you don't say, I don't know where do you think it is? You tell them where it is. But <laughs> but um, what, what a former executive or leader has to figure out is how to go from telling to listening and asking great questions so the other person develops the capacity to figure things out for what's right for them, right? So, I, you know, I have my own style. Those listening and watching can, can figure it out. My style isn't right for all of my clients. They shouldn't do what I would do. And by the same token, I don't know um, a lot about their jobs and the tech, technical aspects of it. And so one of the first things I had to learn was to relax. It's not about me. Ask great questions, let them figure it out. So that, that's the, the number one challenge. The other challenge is marketing yourself. It's a business like any other. Um, you know, make sure you, you, you have the financial reserves, your family's on board, your expenses are in line. So, you know, I, I, it's a bell curve in terms of when you get those uh, first clients. I've, uh, some people in our program get clients within a month of joining us or deciding they're going to be a coach. Others, it can take a year, sometimes two years. It's a gradual uh, process. You know, again, for me, it was uh, six months before I started getting clients and figured out that I, I would do fine at it. So, so those are the two things. Learn, make that switch from directing, telling, you know, the traditional way we look at hierarchical leadership to coaching, learn those conversations, learn them well. There's best practices, there's proven methodologies. Don't just hang a sign that says you're a coach. And second, remember, it's a business like any other. You're still gonna have to get out there and and really market yourself. Mm. So right now, what's the best way for, so first of all, to get the, the coaching skill, there's organizations like, like yours, which I highly recommend um, to really get that uh, footing and, and foundations in terms of how to coach. But then there's this whole other ballgame, like you're saying, um, is the marketing side. Right now, with everything being online, what are you finding is the best way to, to create that visibility? So people are less... Well, we don't have the opportunity so much to go out and do talks uh, at companies, et cetera. So how would you guide, how do you guide your coaches right now starting out in terms of what the best way to do that is? Sure. Well, well a few things. One, there's a big opportunity now, right? Before the pandemic, when people were expected to go in person, many coaches had to we're restricted to having a local market. Now, because of the way things are, clients understand that sessions are gonna be by Zoom or other platform like that. Um, and so you can become a national or international expert 
-hmm. right? So you have a big opportunity there. And so, so step one is figure out your positioning. You could position yourself as an expert who solves a problem for a particular industry, function, demographic group, and suddenly become an instant you know, national or international credible expert. So that's number one. The way to do that is still you know, the same as always. It's a good marketing message, good education. Yeah, we can't go necessarily to a convention, say, or a conference to speak, but there are numerous now virtual conferences and places to speak. You can get hosted by any association. They're all looking for good uh, speakers, just as one thing. You know, the, the, There's all sorts of online writing you can do. LinkedIn, of course, is a phenomenal way to meet people, but you have to do it right. You know, I, you, you want to build a relationship, not just spam people. Um, so, so, so to me, there's more vehicles than ever before uh, to, to establish yourself, and you have the opportunity to go broader than your, your, uh, your tight locale. Yeah, and the opportunities are immense if you just open your mind to it. And, and right. uh, um, grab this the, the digital medium because a lot of people are still finding their feet in this digital space. And um, but it's 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 sort of once you get the heck of the te technological side, which isn't even really uh, huge. It, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's not that hard. And, and you mm -hmm. know, one of the parts of our program now we have a whole set of modules on how to create online programs. And one of the lessons there is don't spend a fortune on it. You, you know, think instead about what is one page where you can describe the program you're offering and how can you just get people to sign up and start doing it? You know, for instance, bring six people together or, you know, a group together as a, they call them mastermind groups or leadership circles or whatever you want. It's Zoom works beautifully. You can do breakout groups. Um, they're all there. It's very efficient. Um, and so, you know, instead of going out there and spending a fortune on a member area and all sorts of content and voiceovers and edit, just bring people together, convene people. It's as simple as that. They can create the content in a way as they support each other on their most pressing challenges. Mm. So there, there's just a ton you can do. And, and there's uh, continues to be uh, good demand for, for all of these things. Yes. Well, there's one thing that I really appreciated about what you taught, taught me um, when I did the program was, also systematizing your knowledge. So offering simplifying something, creating, um, oops, um, creating a, a model or a system or a, a method, um, which, which you also generously offered us um, through your program, but then to go ahead and create your own. And, and, and I found that helps a lot as well is to package a, a system or a model that, that people get the, their minds around that, that um, solves a, a problem or a need. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, if you look at the best-selling authors, that's what they've done. Uh, you know, Patrick Lencioni is a great example, right? He wrote the um, Five Temptations of the CEO, and he's most famous, I suppose, for the five dysfunctions of the team. And he keeps cranking out these very short, very simple books with simple frameworks, and people love them. And, and what's great about today's society is we have democratized that process. You know, 25 years ago, you would need an agent and that takes a year or two to find. And they're very, very restrictive. It's harder to get into a top university than find a, I mean, it's harder to find an agent than get into a top university back then. And then the agent takes a year or two to find a publisher. And then you put out your book and then, you know, it's like a decade long process and maybe like 10 people do it, right? Stephen Covey comes to mind and a few others. Nowadays, anybody can do that. You can do it quickly. You don't need an agent. You don't even need a publisher. You can print on demand if it's print and it doesn't even have to be print. And so we, we live in this amazing world. Uh, it's a democracy 
of, of ideas and the best ideas win. So, um, and creating a framework uh, like you're talking about is not that hard. Uh, you, you know, you simply do, you know, you know, look at Lencioni's model. It's the five something of something. That's all it is. So pick a problem and pick a solution and just say, here's the five things that, you know, the five pillars of something and, and you're all set. Yes. So you, you may have the experience, you may have been a good leader that, that has a way of um, with people, you may learn the coaching side of things. Maybe you've even got a compelling message, but there's a, there's a trick to, to get in the deal and that's the close. <laughs> yeah. Um, you may have a lot of things in place, but you don't go for the close. So share some tips or secrets or, or traps that people fall into that they walk away and they should have got the business and they just don't. <laughs> well, yeah, well, my philosophy is the business is either there or it's not there. Right. So when I first started, I read all these like really tacky sales books. Most sales books out there are tacky. They do not apply to whatever it is a coach or a consultant, any kind of professional would sell. Um, and, and they're too much about like trying to convert someone who's a no and persuading them to be a yes. And what, what, I, what I figured out, uh, and, and I would say the, the closest that helped me figure it out was uh, David Sandler's book, You Can't Teach a, a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. The Sandler sales method is quite good. But, you know, I, I think what he was all about was, well, I'll say it the way I say it now, and, and, but, but just note that it's influenced by him, is, is there's either a sale or there's not. In other words, the client either has a big enough problem and has the money and is going to hire you or isn't. That's already preordained. My job is to figure that out without messing it up. In other words, if, if they, you know, I'll ask questions. I'll say, you know, tell me about your problem. And we'll get into how big the problem is, both tangibly in terms of business issues, uh, maybe uh, how they feel about it, the stress it's causing. And if it's not big enough, I'm just going to say, you know, this doesn't sound like a big enough problem to hire an outsider. I'm not inexpensive and so on, right? So, so that's the first conversation. And then we have to talk about the money. You know, how, how would you find the money for this? Who, how big a check can you sign? And, and the money might not be there. Well, if it's not, that's fine. You know, we, we, move, we move on. In other words, if it's a no, it's gonna be a no. There's nothing I can do to change it, is what I've concluded. Now, there might be salespeople out there who are brilliant and are just compelling. I'm not one of them. I'm just going in detached and I'm just saying, you know, let's, you know, I wanna work with you, but let's figure it out. Let's see if there's, a, you know, a reason for you to hire me and, 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 and a good fit. So we're gonna ask questions to figure out, is the, is the value there? Is there a big enough problem? Is the money there? Do we wanna work together? How would we work together? And that's it. Uh, if at any time I feel like they're not, terribly serious about solving their problem. They don't have the money. Um, uh, I'm trying too hard. I'm going to call that out and, and, and so on. So, so what I learned from Sandler was a no is great and a yes is great. The, the hard part are those maybes, the ones who say, you know, get me 20 references, write me a big proposal. I don't do any of that anymore. Uh, the maybes, I just want to get them as, I want to figure out what's it going to be to get you to a yes or, or a no. And so that, that when, when you talk about uh, closing the engagement, the trick for me is not, I'm going to go back to Columbo and act like that Columbo character we talked about before, ask questions. And I'm not going to tell them, I'm not going to solve their problem. I'm not going to become a coach and coach them for free during this. It's just about figuring out, do you have a big enough problem? Do you have the money? Do we want to work together? And if we do, great. If not, maybe they'll call me later. In fact, the client I mentioned that I met with yesterday, we talked a year ago and he asked me for proposals. And I, and I said, no, I'm not doing that. He had talked to six or seven coaches and I figured he was gone. He called me and he said, you know, I didn't hire anyone back then. 
but I liked you the best. That's a year later. And I just assumed it was a no. And then, you know, we just uh, move forward. In terms of the actual close, the best closing question ever is just how do you, how do you want to proceed from here? Or what, what do you want to do from here? And typically they'll tell me if they say, I need to think about it. I'll say, tell me more. What do you need to think about? Can I help you now? When will you have thought about it? But, you know, often they'll say, I want to move forward. How do we do it? Mm. So, uh, again, it's just a very simple, high level question. This is very different than what, you know, again, a lot of a lot of the sales books are like, when do you want to start? You know, show, can, I, can I send you a proposal? I don't really want to do any of that. I love that approach, and I was so thankful to you to uh, show me that we didn't have to do 30-page proposals. It saved me a ton of time over the <laughs> decade. <laughs> right. Well, uh, yeah, there's a comedian. He, he passed away here in the U.S. called Mitch Hedberg. And it, I don't know, do you have these where you are? There are people who just stand in the street handing out marketing flyers. Do you have that, that hand out coupons? Not we have that all over. Yeah. You see it in New York, all the big cities. And what he would say is those people, what those people are saying here, you throw this out for me. And often that's what proposals are. A client will ask for a proposal because they're too polite to say no. And yes. so what I say is, you know, I don't really know what to put in it. Can we spend uh, 10, 20 minutes talking about what it should say? And then at the end, I'll ask you if you're willing to sign this and move forward. So are you, and if they're not willing to do that, then I know they, you know, I don't know what they're looking for, just free information or something. I love it. I love it. Um, it takes, but it's, it, I mean, you can just hear the way you're speaking about it. You've done it a thousand times. So yeah. it comes to you so naturally to be able to have those um, quick question type um, closes. Let, let's, look, let's look at business as a whole and, and from where you're looking, because you, you get really a lovely bird's eye view from so many different angles uh, around business right now, what, where business is headed. From in your experience and what you're seeing right now, what is the most important things as, as, as entrepreneurs, as business leaders in big corporates, what do we need to start doing differently to move business forward and to create a, a, an even better future for ourselves? Um, I'm not worried about entrepreneurs and business leaders. I mean, they have the same problems they always do, right? How, you know, people, strategy, culture. I'm more worried, at least here in the United States, about where society seems to be headed. It seems to be moving. You know, I, I just don't know what happened. I thought in the 20th century, we learned that socialism, things like that, uh, you, you know, uh, ownership of business was a disaster. People die. That sort of thing. I think we're we're at this very dangerous tipping point in society right now, where for whatever reason, I don't, perceptions of inequality, real inequality. I don't know what it is, but society is saying, you know, something's wrong. No more. To the point where there's a risk. I think for uh, corporations, uh, uh, assets, wealth creation. I mean, it's it's uh, it's 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 a scary time. So I, I don't know that. You know, I think leaders and innovators will keep doing what they're doing as long as they have permission from society. I, one of the things I remember business school th 30 years ago now that I, I disagreed with what the professor said. I thought it was dumb. And now I see how true it was. He says society gives businesses the right to do business and society can take it away. And certainly, you know, what we're seeing here in the United States that scares the death out of me right now it, truly is 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 um, is whether or not society is going to give us the right to generate wealth, innovate, build businesses, or whether 
certain people in society are going to take that away from us. So that's what I'm quite honestly most concerned about is, mm. is uh, there just seems to be some real anger, some re- you know sense of un- injustice, unfairness. Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't know uh, uh, enough to, you know, say what, wh- whether the source of, you know, if they feel it, they feel it, these folks. So anyway, that's, that's what scares me the most is how, to, so, so maybe the implications are, you know, businesses, business people have to be a lot more aware of that feeling and, 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 and adjust uh, uh, their, their models so that uh, they, they can accommodate these people who are, who are feeling this way and seem to be gaining more and more and more power. And especially in the younger generations that mm. seem to be favorable towards socialism, even though I'm not sure, you know, studies have shown they can't even define it. Mm. Mm. So do we not have a part then to play as leaders to impact the awareness or the growth or the development or the mindset, at least amongst the you know, people that we serve? Because we have a role to play, at least in, in, in as far as that part of society is concerned, because we make up society, yeah. don't we? Each one of us. That's uh, right. And, and business has a, a huge role to play uh, and leaders have a role to play. Um, it's maybe we're not vocal enough. Maybe we're not impacting communities enough. I, I, I'm not sure. But where they are good leaders, we need more of those. Impact. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a big conversation, right? I mean, I, what, what I see here is people digging their heels in. They've already made up their mind, at least uh, publicly and on social media. Whereas when I have real dialogues, just as an example, I did a, um, a coaching uh, thing with about 18 military leaders in the United States, very concerned about diversity and inclusion. That was one of the conversations we were gonna have, we, we had, and it, they did it so beautifully. It was all done respectfully, people listening, those who felt like they had had incidents, you know, they just talked it out and got it out. And they said it's the first time they've been heard. And, and so sometimes it's as, as simple as that. A lot of the, the conversations that we're having aren't creating any possibility. Uh, there's no listening. People already know, you know, where they stand on the issues. So that is cer- certainly th- that's a, a big part of it. It's just uh, within organizations, just changing the conversations, not making anyone wrong, not blaming, this or that, that, that doesn't work, not coming across as a victim, but just meeting and saying, you know, here's what I want to create uh, and, and doing it with a sense of possibility might be part of the answer. And again, that's where coaching types of conversations can be really helpful. They're not the full answer, but, but they can shift the conversation. Uh, and I, I think that's uh, re- really important today. The conversations just don't create possibility. They just create, you know, this. Yes, exactly. Well, the organizations where I've worked and, and where we've we've been involved in from a coaching perspective, we've started helping leaders do that where they they have those coaching conversations. And um, especially in more sort of repressive certain uh, communities where they start helping employees find a new narrative or, or you know, sort of have the conversations that opens up new thinking. Um, or brings them uh, to a different, it's not a force, it's more like a uh, open up the conversation, ask the difficult questions and have an environment that's okay to have those conversations. And we've seen amazing results where Mm. those employees then are impacting communities, their communities where they go home, where they might be that stuck thinking. Nice. I think businesses can have a a big, because I mean, this is one of the, 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 um, 
you know, the missions of this, this show is to bring humanity back to business and for business to have that impact and, and footprint through communities, through the conversations we're having. So um, I, I, li I like that, that you brought that up and it's something that scares me too, Andrew. It's, um, you know, the good businesses are doing great things, but the communities are, 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 are stuck and, and that impacts us all at the end of the day. So a nice conversation for us to have and um, as leaders and coaches to, to support each, our communities in, in having those conversations. There are many leaders right now in, in different industries who are really burnt out, really stressed, really stretched. Um, even, even companies where um, they're not necessarily in those hard hit industries like uh, retail or hospitality, but in, in the situation where they have to pivot and innovate hugely, creating pressure on leaders. How can leaders reduce the overwhelm? What are some of the things or tips that you could give or things that you've learned maybe even in your own life to reduce the overwhelm? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll talk about three. Uh, three things that anyone listening uh, can do. One comes from uh, Frederick Taylor over a hundred years ago. Uh, I, I believe this was in a conversation with Andrew Carnegie. He came to him as a you know sort of a consultant and Carnegie said, I'll pay you $10,000, you know, some large amount of money if you can help us be more productive. And Taylor's uh, advice, as the story goes, I, you know, who knows if it's true or not, but it, I, I think it is, was this. He says, look, here's what I want you to do. First, every night at the end of the day, I want you to write down the six things you're going to do tomorrow, the six most important things. You come in the next day, and those are the six things you do. You knock them off your list, and you repeat the process at the end of the day. If you didn't get to all six, you know, whatever you didn't get to stays on the list, and you can add three or four more until you have six, and you just keep doing that. And all you do is those six things. You just stay totally focused on those things on your list. So that's number one. Number two, teach it to your team so that they're doing the same thing. And apparently, Carnegie found so much improvement just by doing that one simple thing uh, that he paid Taylor, you know, that amount of uh, that, that amount of money. So, you know, that's one is simple. And, and, but that gets to the, the, the whole thing is, uh, you know, the, the, the second thing that we do at the Center for Executive Coaching is called the Leaders Dashboard. It's a one page document that looks at, you know, what's your vision, your mission, your values, what are your top three performance initiatives, top three metrics. And it's the same thing. That, that you should be focusing 80% of your time on those things. If something comes to you that's not one of those things, you have to say, why am I doing this, right? So, so I think sometimes people are overwhelmed uh, because they just are allowing, they're tolerating too many interruptions, too many priorities. They're looking around at too many things. Hmm. Um, so, so, and, and of course, part of that means a strong strategy, a focused strategy, um, is, is a great way to uh, reduce overwhelm. So that's the second. The third is just do a time study of yourself for a week. Every 15 minutes, write down what you did those 15 minutes for, for one week. And then, you know, do it on an Excel spreadsheet, have the time in one column, 15 minutes, have, have the activity, and then start evaluating it. You know, was this strategic? Did I have to do it? Could I have delegated it? Did it need to be done at all? Was it a time waster? And just start evaluating your time and then, Create your ideal day and week, you know, however you would do that. Make it a pie graph, make it a bar graph and say, this is this is what I want to be spending my time on and then make it happen. Um, and that's it. So, um, you know, overwhelm isn't all about time, but often that's what it's about. So, so, so those three are about uh, time. Then there's the, you know, the psychological overwhelm mm -hmm. that we're all feeling, um, you know, and, and for that, there's, you know, a number of proven strategies, whether it's meditation, exercise, 
breathing, relaxation. You know, I'm, I'm walking a lot more now than I ever did before. Every, you know, I'm going for the five miles a day, one way or another throughout the day. And so I'll work, I'll take time out and walk. That works for me. Other, and of course, detective novels and tennis, but other people have their thing uh, too. So, you know, that's the other side is, is we, we got to think about, you know, no, nobody know. there was a time when people understood how to train our brains, how to train the mind. You know, there's all sorts of disciplines, thousands of years old, the information exists. It seems like something happened once social media started happening that we became victims or, or cyborgs or just these ADD type folks uh, where we forgot that, yeah, we, we can control this organ, the brain, the mind, and, and no one's uh, doing it anymore. I, you know, maybe it's a nice time too to, to learn that part. So there's, so there's get control of your priorities, express your priorities based on your strategy, create the time, you know, the way you want to do, whether it's a simple six, uh, six item list or, or a real time study. And at the same time, we just have to get control of how our minds work again and, and, and remember how to do that. I mean, that was a part of what I, in high school, we studied the world philosophies and religions. In college, you know, we looked at how does the brain work? And nobody does this anymore. It's, it's very interesting to me that, that you don't see that as much as you used to. Mm. I actually just today put out an episode on brain entrainment technology. Um, oh, cool. Good. The most fantastic, awesome, he calls himself a brain entrainment engineer. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's um, basically uh, frequencies. So you listen to these um, sounds huh. and it, it changes the neurochemistry. So amazing and, and spot on uh, because we forget about the things physically that can help us. Um, emotionally with that overwhelm. And so to change the chemistry, we change our thinking, which then changes so many things for us. And it's finding all these, these methods to do that. So thank you for bringing that up as well. Well, and that's what coaching does too. I mean, you take an hour a day and you meet with someone who's objective, who asks you questions and you, you lift above the whole fray. Uh, that can be, you know, that, that's another uh, proven way to handle overwhelm as well. Yes, exactly. I, I remember one one client I had, and um, he didn't even want me to ask him questions. He just said, "Come on, all I need you to do is actually just listen." Yep, he says, the best client ever. Yeah, he says, "I know, and I, I know I'm paying you for this, and I know you want to add a lot of value, but actually, I just need you to listen right. to." <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great. Yeah, coaches get in the way, right? One of the things we teach, you know, if you have a client like that, sometimes they want to process. Yeah. It's not for us to say you're boring me. We're, we're, they're paying us, right? <laughs> so you've spoken about the thing in society that scares you. What excites you about the future? Um, well, it's a, it's a really good question. I, I think, I mean, there's, just so many opportunities, right? There are people working on every kind of thing out there. I mean, how do we scrub CO2 from, from the air? I mean, that technology exists, right? I mean, that's really amazing. Uh, and there's, you know, there, there's all sorts of alternative energy technologies. Biotechnology is, is incredible. I mean, the, the amount of innovation that continues to happen, I mean, computing, there's all sorts of things going on. Even, you know, this quantum computing, you have uh, our quest for space. Uh, it's just, it's un, it's it's unbelievable. Yes. Uh, so, the, you know the 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 innovators will save the day if we get out of the way um, and and let them. And and so so at least in in the United States, I'm always excited by how much how vibrant 
that kind of uh, market is. And, and it's, it's really interesting. I mean, uh, to me, this it still goes, I don't know if you read Ann Rand's The uh, uh, Atlas Shrugged, um, a great book, a controversial book. A lot of people think it's too simplistic, but you know, back in the 40s or 50s when she wrote this, it was the same thing. It was basically about who wins. There was this socialist model, lots of government, let's regulate everything, let's keep people under check and under control, let's be victims versus the innovators who were trying to make things happen in that particular book. Uh, it was called Atlas Shrug because the Atlas is the ones holding up the planet, decided we don't need this anymore. And they just left and formed their own society and, and, and let all the socialists who were uh, uh, you know, taking money from the from the producers, you know, would collapse under, uh, you know, without them to hold it up. Where we're, it's the same thing we're seeing today, uh, almost a hundred years later. And you know, the question is, how, how, who's going to win? It looks like um, uh, it's 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 just going back. So so it's a really interesting dynamic from from that perspective. Mm. Uh, but yeah, but I'm I mean, I, the stuff I read all the time about what people are creating. Um, let alone the resilience of people during COVID. So many businesses have pivoted in fascinating ways. Um, it's it's really cool to see. I mean, it's and those who are in businesses that are you know sort of stuck or or or, or are failing, I've seen them leave and start new things. So you know the human spirit is alive and well, and it's just really exciting to to, to see what people are doing and and how they're doing. Even here with sports, I mean, I, you know, sports are really interesting and weird right now. There's no one in the stadiums, but they're projecting noise and crowd noise and stuff. And, you know, the uh, fantasy football is back, for instance. And, 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 you know, my kids are doing all of that. It's just, it's just really interesting. I mean, people find a way to create meaning and interest and, and cool things in, in, in life, even in the worst of times. Yes, the human spirit is incredible. And uh, yeah, what people get up to give them half a chance is, is quite is beautiful and crazy and <laughs> fascinating and um, heartwarming all at the same time. So I'm interested, um, Andrew. You've you've got a you've got an incredible infectious optimism. You've got beautiful energy. You 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 know you're unflappable. So what are your <laughs> When something does go wrong, when, when you're presented with a, a, a real challenge, take us into your, your headspace. You know, what do you do? What, what's, your, what's your strategy? What do you tend to do? Is, is there a place you go to, a take time out? What works for you? Or what have you found works for you? Um, well, for me, it's what's the, what do I want to make happen? You know, what's the outcome I want? right, is the first thing, right? The way to get away from any drama, any, you know, a victimization is, is let's start, what, what do I want to create? And what, what gets me excited about it, right? Because if you're excited about something and the possibility is big enough, the opportunity is big enough, um, that, that seems to make any challenge smaller. And so that's not, that, that, that's, that's the first thing, get real clear on the outcome I want. And then what's in my control, right? There's going to be stuff in my control and stuff not in my control. So the stuff not in my control, I just have to cope with it, realize it, accept it. It's, it's there, right? COVID is there. There's the, that's not in, not in my uh, control. A death in the family, it's there. It happened. You know, there's, uh, it's not, nothing I can do about it. But now how do I move forward? What's in my control uh, about that? And, and it, it, for me, it's, it's, uh, I suppose it's re really that simple. Um, you know, as I think about your question, uh, I have been blessed over the last, I don't know how many years, that I haven't had any truly significant 
you know, challenges, the usual stuff with, you know, kids and, you know, d- discipline issues. But and, and so as I think about why a lot of it is, you know, to just the right kinds of, of planning, right? Financially, I'm very frugal. Uh, I save as much as, as possible, right? So, so that's a really big thing. I know that, you know, I could shut down my business tomorrow if I wanted to and be fine. And, and so that's really important. I know I have skills that, 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 that I can use. You know, I, we, we've stayed in one house for many, many years because, you know, it's very expensive to move around and, and find different houses, right? I met the, the, the woman I uh, married, I'm, I'm, I love her. I'm going to stay married to her. You know, it's, it's simple. We keep things simple. I got a car that's got 150, uh, 166,000 miles on it. I'll get a new car if it hits 200. I mean, so let's see if it can do it. Is. You know, and so I, I think a, a lot of it too, and I say no to stuff. I had a really nice deal with a company uh, last year, but it was taking a lot of time. It was stressful. The the, the founder of that organization to me was a little bit um, erratic. I, I, and so I felt like at some point my gut told me something was going to go wrong. And so I left a lot of money on the table, but I said, I, and we, you know, we didn't quite come to the deal that was perfect for me. So I said, no. And, you know, Warren Buffett says the best deals you ever make to. So, so it's a really interesting question that you asked because it makes me think, you know, I've just been totally blessed, but, you know, not trying to go be Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or anything, just trying to live a life that I enjoy where time is probably more valuable than money. And, uh, and, and, and I, I think just making good financial uh, relationship and uh, other types of decisions. Mm. Yes. And it's interesting when you, you know, so many people would reflect like you have and say, I think I've, I've been blessed. However, to my mind, it's nothing's coincidental. You've created your, your, your positive circumstances by being frugal, by planning, by thinking, by looking at the outcomes, by being willing to say no when you need to, or, or keeping it simple. Maybe we, you know, too many people complicate things too much. And so yeah, there's nothing, um, difficult difficult about any of this it's just been very very simple i i guess um habits I, you know that's not to say challenges won't come but you know the, the challenges that would come from for, for for now would probably be from our you know kids as they try to get out on their their own but as my wife reminds me that you know or i uh, was a khalil gibran in the prophet he writes you know kids are the arrow we're the bow we've already shot them out of the of, of the uh, bow and so, you know, that's on them. They have to create their life at some time. You know, part of it is how much involvement um, are, you know, are, are we getting? I'm, I'm trying to anticipate now what yes. issues could come up uh, and uh, other than societal collapse, which is, I suppose in the U.S., the way we're spending money is possible. Yes. Um, I, I don't, I don't, uh, mm. things are pretty good. Well, it could also be that you don't see challenges in the, in the typical way people do and that you do experience challenges, but the way in which you work through it, um, you see it as a, you know, which is very much how I've taught myself to see challenges. I don't see the barrier. I see the opportunity for a breakthrough and it works. And maybe you've taught your mind to not see the challenge, but to see the outcome and to create it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Andrew, if you had an opportunity to talk to the whole planet right now, what message would you love to give society? <laughs> yeah, I love, I love that question. I, you know, the, the, the uh, I, I was saying there's all the cliche answers, right? Like, you know, be peaceful, be happy, find your thing. I, I was saying the, the way to answer that and be true to everything 
that I've done in my, is that I wouldn't talk to the whole world, right? That's the whole mistake that I made when I first started my coaching practice was I thought everyone could be my client, right? Really, you know, what, what I've become good at is talking to leaders, you know, successful people who are thinking about a change in their career and coaching might be the thing. That's it. It's a tiny market of the seven, five billion people on the planet, almost eight billion, I think now. Uh, I don't I don't know what size that would be, but it's a tiny fraction. And and that, you know, my message to them is, you know, if, if you want that next um, opportunity, you know, that next level of flexibility and freedom in your life, coaching for me has been a wonderful pro- profession. It's, you know, I'm here in a home office. I, I can drive my kids to school. I see all their events. I, I work with great clients on on great issues. So, you know, other than cliche answers that are already out there for, for, for the world's population about how to be happy, how to find peace, mm-hmm. how to be nice to others. It, really, my message is so focused and, and so specialized. And that's where I, I guess I feel comfortable talking. I, I, I love the question, but I, I feel like I, I would be hard pressed to have the uh, ego to, 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 to have a unique message for 7.5 billion. You know, the, the key to success, I think, is finding a message for a smaller market. And, uh, and so that's my message. What an amazing, amazing answer. I love it. It's true to who you are. <laughs> and yeah. um, it, it speaks to the, the success you've created because uh, you, you've, you've taken that niche and you've given maximum value to that niche and the value has come back to you in, in ways that I, I, I don't even think you can quantify. So um, thank you. I, I, I love your, your answer is, is wonderful. It's just true to you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's been such a treat to, to chat with you again. And uh, thank you to, for sharing these coaching insights with us. Thank you for what you brought to me in, in my life through your coaching insights and, and teaching me to be a really good coach that adds value. And Keep doing what you're doing. You're you're one of those amazing leaders that are bringing humanity right back into business. You've always done that. So thank you for making such a difference. Oh, thank you, Tim. I mean, I watch you here on this. I wish I had your charisma and energy. <laughs> it's really nice to see. So uh, congratulations <laughs> to all you're doing. Uh, thank you. And I, I, I believe you do have your, uh, that charisma. You just don't see it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> and to all of you watching or listening, I hope there's been such uh, some really amazing insights about either taking on a coach or becoming a coach. And if you want to become a coach, Andrew truly is uh, the right place to, to look. And uh, let's let's collaborate, let's co-create value, and together we surely can create a new human story and a future we can be proud of. 